the Abstract Athlete Podcast, where art and sports collide. Thank the Lord for the friends he cast and the play he wrote for you. And if you love the girl... Welcome, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Abstract Athlete Podcast. Always, always want to say thank you to our listeners and sponsors for all of your incredible support. Any questions or comments, please send it to info at theabstractathlete.com. Make sure to check out the other podcasts on the Abstract Athlete Network, the Abstract Doctors Podcast, and One Man's Ethos, the Tony Mandridge Podcast. Stop by our website, theabstractathlete.com, as we have a lot of things happening. So make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms as well for updates and news. Pretty excited about the podcast today as I get to speak with singer-songwriter and former college track star Ellis Paul. Make sure to check out Ellis's music on iTunes, Spotify, and other streaming services. You can also find his music and other news on his website is ellispaul.com. And you can follow Ellis on Instagram and Twitter at ellispaulsongs. Definitely want to say thank you to Ellis for allowing us to use one of his songs for today's episode. Let's welcome Ellis Paul. You pull it out, it's a compass of God, and it will pour that little soul on you. Bless your sweet mistakes that crumble you down to your knees. Hey, Ron, can you hear me all right? I got you perfectly probably one of the better mics i've had <laughs> but then again you probably should have a mic how's that it's great it's great oh, all right yep and We're i jump use are we going to use the visual anyway uh we will eventually i actually use snippets for promotion um okay. we don't do any video like originally when we by the way i'm recording already i always start right off um when i when i started this out originally it was before covid and the thought was to actually do all of this in person. Yeah. So the first, right. I think the first four or five episodes of this were actually in person, like kind of all over the country. As a matter of fact, like one, two were recorded in Nashville. One was out in Phoenix and I believe two, one was in Richmond, Virginia, where I'm at. And then there was another one, like a little bit South of Richmond. So, wow. but yeah, like, COVID has completely changed that idea, <laughs> um, which is kind of, I mean, it's strangely enough, it's kind of nice because it allows, you know, conversations with people all over the world, really. So, yeah, that's super, it has changed my life in super ways. Yeah. But thank you. Like, thank you for doing this. Um, reading up on you has been absolutely fascinating to me um, and fun. And I think, right. um, you know, like we were connected from a mutual friend, um, Adam Moyer, who's a um, TV producer and does other stuff. And you actually did what it's called the home sessions, right? You actually did one of his home sessions. Yeah. Yeah. I've done a few things with Adam and uh, including playing at, at his place on the East coast and on the West coast. Yeah. And, yeah he's a great guy. <laughs> no, it's great. Um, and so like, you know, I think why he put us together is your kind of connection to a physical and creative space and how you grew up, how things kind of maybe, I don't want to say shifted for you uh, in regards to creativity kind of taking the lead over the physical stuff. But, 
you know, and I don't want to like say all this stuff, but just, you know, like you grew up or were born in Maine, like you were born to potato farmers, if I (sighs) said that correctly. Um, And, and you were a, for lack of a better way to say, you were an incredible distance runner. Um, I believe like you at one point in time were number two in the nation in, was it the 10,000 you were the, like your big race was the 10,000 meter? Uh, back when, when I got into college and high school, the, the distances tend to be more in the 5k range. Okay. And, and so I, I did age group AAU, you know, national uh, championships and finished second when I was 16 and, yeah. and but, got a bunch of scholarship offers and, and, uh, then went to Boston college. And yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, did you, like you were offered, I assume like when you, you have this kind of cachet offered scholarships all over the country what made you choose boston was it just proximity uh i think that it, there was some legacy that happened there um a, a girl that uh was in the next town over had won the state championship and she had done all these age group national championships as well and done really well her name's michelle hallett and she got recruited uh, recruited by uh bc and um and then Jack McDonald, the coach of BC, came up to give some speech at uh, like, a, you know, one of these Friars Clubs kind of things <laughs> that happened. Like, uh, for some reason, he hitchhiked up to Presque Isle, Maine, which is from Boston. And uh, my dad took me to the speech and then I got to meet Jack. And so there, there seemed to be some just sort of personal hand to hand handoffs that, that that created that whole thing. So... I want to get like into like you, your kind of running career, like kind of, I don't want to say it came to an end, but like things shifted in college in your junior year. Like you, you hurt your knee. Um, mm-hmm. And from what I read, a girlfriend gave you a guitar. Like yeah, that, a, I mean, <laughs> but a girlfriend's I, sister. Okay. Yeah. A girlfriend's sister. I'm curious what, cause there was one thing I read that I think is, it was pretty interesting um, in regards to, and I, I'm a, I'm a professor at VCU and I talk to my, I, I work with a lot of student athletes, kind of mirroring what my business does, the abstract athlete, um, you know, trying to get student athletes, athletes creative and understanding how good it is for our mental health and, and, and physical exercise obviously is good for our mental health also. But when you get to a point, like for you, for instance, that you're, you know, an acclaimed runner, like it becomes a job and you kind of lose that passion for it. And I'm curious, this is a weird roundabout way to get to a question or comment or something that like, were you doing creative things before you were given that guitar or like, cause it, you said something, and again, something I read that it said that your physical activities kind of ruined your creative outlets or something like that, which I understand. Like I was a, I was a, I played baseball at Ohio state and it's like, you have no time for anything. And what I'm trying to do with, with these classes is find that time for these student athletes to realize that whether it's playing music, whether it's writing, writing poetry, whether it's painting, whatever your outlet is, it's like, it's a good thing to get in to that habit. Yeah. In, in high school, I, um, you know, one of the senior superlatives happened and you're, you're, you know, I, I think I was chosen to be the best artist in school as well as being like 
the the athlete in school and oh, to the chagrin of all the basketball players in my high school because <laughs> that was the big sport and some cross-country kid comes in and and gets the big accolade at the end of the year um so and i i was definitely fully showing creativity in in high school and doing writing and 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 uh especially right in writing and and the arts um anytime there was sort of like any competition and writing stuff i'd be my class winner and and uh and i was you know for my grade level was one of the better artists and and uh but then uh running was sort of the the passion and the thing that i got this greater attention for and um when I went to Boston College, I'm like, well, maybe what I'll do is I'll try and get a degree and become a sports medicine doctor and deal with athletic injuries for runners and, and just kind of create some kind of profession around the sport while I'm trying to compete in the sport at the same time. And because, you know, at that point, you're you think the sky's the limit, like maybe I'll be um, an Olympic athlete or, you know, on some national team. And um, so my, I was building my whole life around the concept of being in the running community in some way, even, you know, maybe even coaching or, or whatever. Um, but then I got to college and, and the medical, the, all the biology, chemistry, all that stuff just was not suited for my personality type. I was, I should have been in English and the arts and history and more liberal arts than science and, um, based on my personality type. And, you know, as I was training and, and, trying to work my way up through the college ranks like I did in, in high school, through the high school ranks, uh, I just started to to feel lost, really. You know, I, I just didn't feel like it, it was just classes all the time and then running all the time and then classes all the time and then running all the time. And, you know, the, the thing about running is that it's exhausting, <laughs> uh, you know, and the people that are are really great at it are 100 and mile week 120 mile weeks they take naps in the afternoon and they just eat sleep and run and then repeat you know so it's um it's just exhausting and i realized that uh when i get injured suddenly i had six months off and i started playing guitar and and create and i felt more like myself again i think yeah. and uh i love running though i mean it's still a huge passion for me I, I'm, I'm not physically doing it so much these days but um you know, daily looking, I treat running like most baseball players and basketball players treat the stats. They're on, they, they're going to all the resources and seeing what's happening. And, you know, I, I know things I shouldn't know about high school runners <laughs> all the way up to masters runners, you know, so it's, I'm still a nerd of the sport and, and still love it. But you do, you do still some of it running like what, yeah. Like, do you have like a physical outlet in some respects? Yeah, I do. I run until I get hurt and then I take six <laughs> months off and then I run because my, my body isn't in the same place my brain is. Um, for some reason, there's some detachment there. And I think that I'm 32 instead of in my 50s. And uh, I, just I, I do the and, same thing. I actually still run stairs every other day and sprints. Oh, do you really? I'm crazy. I'm nuts. Yeah. I, yeah. I just, I, I like long distance runners are always something just out, out so that's what adam does or did as well as the distance running i that was never i'm a twitch guy i'm like i'm sprints baseball basketball football like yeah. get it over with quickly and I like so running distances for me is like five miles and that nope done and you know other people are like and they just keep going i was like ah, no i know it's funny you can play basketball for like three hours and you're you're like 
and you're probably running, you know, five or six miles on the court if you yep. do it. But the, the idea of running five miles in a row for 40 minutes or whatever it is, uh, it's, it's people that can't do it. They can't even get their mind around it. I know. I mean, I can, I just, I just don't, I, I don't know. It's just not, it's not something that ever, I, 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 I don't know. Like, I feel like I always get, like I drift off and, and then I, like I start thinking of stuff. It's like, I got to get at home. I got to do those other, you know, and it's like, whereas like <laughs> right. I go, I go run sprints and it's, it's, you know, I get it done quickly. I get my heart rate up and it's done and, and blah, blah, blah. So, but you, going back to like college. So, and it kind of like, did you finish your senior year, like running I didn't, I couldn't find that, like that you came back to it, but kind of understanding that this was almost in the rear view mirror for lack of a better way to say it. Yeah. And not only did I come back after, um, I think it was my junior year that I took off. I came back for a fifth year okay. cross country season because I had eligibility on my scholarship. And uh, at that point, we were uh, probably a top 10 team. I think we might have finished 11th at nationals in cross country. But the coach wanted me to come back because I was um, one of the top runners. And we had a good chance of, um, you know, making the, the top 10 as a team that year. And uh, so I came back and took extra classes. And it was that sort of awkward fifth year of like, you feel like you know, you're at a high school party and you're like 25. Mm -hmm. um, it just it weirdly felt like that. And I, I don't, I don't know why, cause it was only just a year out, but um, I was working a job at that point and running and then taking night classes in order to get the classwork in. And um, it was, it was a lot for, for six months, but like I said, I, there's just something magic about the sport. You're attracted to what you're attracted to with, with the sports you choose. And I just, um, I really did love the feel of flying that you got when you were having a great workout or a great race. And uh, so there was, there was a lot of that. And then I did a little bit of uh, running after college. I ran for Saucony um, uh, and it wasn't a paid kind of thing. It was more like they gave me equipment and I did road races and just showed off their stuff. And, uh, and I did that for a few months and then finally, uh, started working a real job and, and, uh, playing open mics, getting my music out at night. And, uh, it was a lot less effort and a lot more you know, fun. I, no, I do. I know that, 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 uh, I, in some weird way, like I quit actually, I played, well, I was at Ohio state and I got red shirted and I realized I shouldn't be in school. And, and then I quit school and that's when I joined bands. I started like singing or I've, I've always, you know, been a singer, but so I yeah. like kind of like you and like, and that, Oh, I love this. And, and yeah. you know, then I, I mean, at that time I had shitty jobs just to pay the bills and I eventually went back to school for art which is what I probably should have done kind of like what you were saying earlier is like, I, if I, it sounds stupid. I've said this on multiple podcasts. I, in, I don't think I knew that you could go to school for art in college. So I was like taking architecture classes, which I, I enjoy architecture, but I hate the, just that the anal, you know, I'm more yeah. like, ah. the exacting of it is yeah. tough. And so it's just that, that feeling of being, on stage and um 
it's like I, I want to know that like that's something I actually I think about as somebody that was an athlete team sport predominantly and and um and somebody that's a, you know a painter and and a singer do you have any kind of connection to that idea like I don't want to say like the runner's high and like finding the flow like when you're creating like do you have any connections to that you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I mean, there are some performances, you know, where you see like Jordan getting 60 points against the Celtics and he looks over at the scoring table. Yeah. Like, I don't know what's happening, but <laughs> I just can't miss. I don't know why, but that, you know, there are some nights on stage that are like that, especially when you're a one man act. I'm a folk singer, so I'm frequently up there alone. Um, but when you feel like you're elevating and you're kind of floating on stage and the audience is just responding to everything. So you do get in, in those zones. There's, there's so, there really are so many correlations between, um, the, you know, I, I call it the loneliness of the long distance runner and, and then the loneliness of the long driving folk singer, you know, these like just going absolute eight hours for one gig in Ohio and, you know, making a couple grand maybe if you're lucky and, and then scooting all the way back and all the isolation time and you're in your head all the time. And, uh, and you have, I've always had this mentality like, Oh, the harder I work, the better I'll be, the better I'll do, which is, um, it's a great way to run yourself into a wall is what it is. And I, I think I probably did that with running too. It's just like, running in excess and and uh now i'm reading about how all these all these people are training um and they they definitely train hard but they they make sure that they're not exceeding maximum heart rates and maximum lactate in their bloodstream and they're measuring these things like mid-workout to make sure that they're not overdoing it and so that their their legs are are, are fresher for the races and they're getting the benefits of training without the burnout of training. So, um, I'm trying to learn that in, in, in being a musician is not to overdo it either. And just, you know, but as a musician, you, you know, this, how hard do we have to work to make decent livings? Because, um, yeah. it's, it's just, it's not a well, we didn't, we didn't make a living. It, <laughs> it yeah. was all about trying to make the living, which is, it's, yeah, it's that's what it is. Yeah. Unless you're Mariah Carey and you're lucky enough to have, yeah. you know, millions of dollars behind you and support and an incredible talent as well. But uh, what do you, you think know? about like, I mean, you know, that's the one thing that I think has been so interesting in music. And I definitely want to talk about your music career, but just to go off on this little tangent, like I, I actually, it's funny enough. I met my business, my now business partner working in a record store back in, at, in Ohio 35 years ago or whatever record stores are pretty much gone. Music is completely different. Like just in terms of distribution, in terms of, uh, you know, how we access it. I mean, is there any, anything that like, do you have a love hate relationship with it? Because to me, it's like the ability to get music out there. It's, is obviously so much easier, but it's also harder to find stuff. Um, well, it's easier to it, I feel like, um, how do I say this? You know, remember the milkman days when you used to come to the door mm -hmm. with the milk and he'd leave it on you. I feel like with music, it's just sort of the opposite. Y yes. You can put out music like milk. You can open your door and put out your album on your front doorstep and then you close the door and then, okay, I just put out music. <laughs> 
uh, it's sitting just outside the door of my house. Come pick it up. Uh, and, and nobody does like that, you know, unless they get lucky and find, find you somewhere. So it's, yes, it's easy to put it out your door and leave it on your front porch by distributing it to everybody. So everybody gets it. That, that involves a great deal of luck. Um, the, the music has to be interesting and great and targeted to the right people because everyone's divergent tastes are so broad. Um, and it's, it's hard to find those pockets. And, you know, I was on a record label for seven albums and, you know, those records, um, I didn't see much money from those records unless I sold them myself off the stage. That's where I made the money on those things. And, and when there's the, been this double whammy that we've taken in the last 20 years, first is like CDs disappearing, all physical, all physical versions of music are gone. And that, that was like one third of my income just went poof. And it's starting to pick back up again with streaming and services, but the money's never caught up to where it was. Um, and then, of course, COVID hits. And then not only is there no di physical version of music, uh, you can't even physically play anywhere. And you have to do all this virtual playing now. And so we're all in this digital realm. And um, I've got three shows this weekend in Ohio and Michigan, and, and they're selling like a third of what they normally would because of the COVID scare. And, but um, I'm still going to go out and do them. I feel like I got to get the wheels on the pavement and and shake some of the dust off, just like you know, like I'm going out for a run for the first time in six months, and and just need to you know sweat. What and, part of Ohio? I'm playing in Cincinnati okay. um, tomorrow. Tomorrow, oh, wow. and uh, yeah, you got to really then, get on the road. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, like your style. I I actually drive out west at least once a year. I mean, I just, I love, oh, love, love, love driving yeah. and I particularly love being out West. Um, but I'm, you know, like Adam probably told you, like I'm from Ohio. So there's, you know, stomping grounds in, in that state all over the place. Playing, right. Playing in Those clubs. long stretches of yep. farmland. Yep. <laughs> it's, there's something Zen about Ohio that mm -hmm. I love. And I'm like, you, man, I, I, like my girlfriend was offering to join me this weekend and I'm like, I think I just need uh like a weekend in the car alone and yep. just to look around and just uh um even though i love traveling with her and she's 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 awesome actually but uh I, yeah it's just some there's just something about the dry, the long drives and you know um, and if the shows suck because no one comes you kind of don't want anyone else to <laughs> just want to deal with it alone right just get into to the next show yep well, I like I definitely want to get into your to the to the music side of stuff and like you are like prolific um as hell like you have at least 19 albums if I remember reading correctly. I'm actually going back to look at some stuff. At least 19 albums. You've worked you've had, you know, music on soundtracks, you you know, again, pre-COVID, you were playing like folk festivals, um, the Woody Guthrie festival. I think you're like a mainstay at these. Um, and like that, has, I mean that, that like, again, like that, that COVID aspect has to be the most difficult part probably and just in my head, because like the playing out part to me is, is the, the cherry on the top, you know, like you do all this work, you find the, you know, like 
find the tunes, you record them, and then you go out. And so, like you said, just going out to these shows in Ohio and Michigan, it has to be, even though, you know, you never know what's going on in the world at this moment, but it has to be kind of gratifying to get back out there um, with that hope again that you're going to be you know, going back to these, like the Newport Folk Festival and all, you know, all these major, major festivals and shows and stuff. Yeah, you hope, you hope that that it's going to return to some kind of normalcy, but it it's more surreal. It, it's kind of, you feel like you're playing out on the moon. <laughs> it's like everyone's in, everyone's got masks on and, you know, there's all this griping when you're going out about the vaccination stuff, because most of the shows I'm playing people have to show vaccination proof and um, keep social distancing away. And of course there's a segment of the population that doesn't want to do any of that. Um, So you get the haters on Facebook, Oh, you're just going out and you're just, uh, you know, you're, you're doing this and this. And, and uh, so, uh, you know, the world is, is, it's just strange out there. There's, there's a, a weird thing in the ether and, and even in the rooms and when there's the problem of them being like at half capacity. So there's all the, the energy is a little flat. Um, but there's also this, I, there's this suspicious kind of looking around, like, am I far enough away? Is, is does this person have it? I, yeah. I don't know if I have it. And, um, I smile and grin and do the show and, and, and I'm, it's not like I'm not enjoying it. I am enjoying it. I don't want to feel that way, but it's just not the same. It, it feels very alien and like yeah. you're playing in a multiverse situation and you're just stepping into this other universe. That's sort of like your planet, but not quite your planet. And then you go home. And so, uh, yeah, I've shifted, you know, I, I was doing 200, 250 days on the road, um, you know, in the past and, and that was sort of the bread and butter of my business. It was the engine of my business. And anything I did on top of that uh, was sort of just to advertise that I'm on the road all the time. And now it's, I think my business has made this sea change into now I'm, I'm going to be here online doing live stream shows and doing my Patreon subscription channel and teaching and, um, you know, doing all the things I do online to make a living. And the road stuff is going to be just advertising for that. Right. And, um, but all that happened immediately and it was scary. And, you know, in March, 2020, on my, my calendar, just, I, I did this long ride to New York city over seven hours and I lost like 40, $50,000 worth of shows and cancellations. Oh. I'm like, what am I going to do? So I just immediately came home, buckled in and started live streaming shows and, I did a show last night. Uh, I did a birthday show. My my birthday is actually tomorrow, but since I was oh, on the happy road, birthday. thank you. Yeah, and uh, so I just sat down in front of the cameras, invited a bunch of friends to join me on the live stream and and from remote places, and and it was great. We had a few hundred people tune in and and uh, made some money, and now my commute is just walking down the stairs into this room. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You you uh, like when you graduated from from BC. You did like you, you're a teacher, correct? You, or you were, and you did some show, social work. Yeah, it was, correct? it was kind of a, a combination that of casework and teaching. I, I worked at a school in Jamaica Plain in Boston for kids that had been kicked out of Boston public schools for behavior issues and kids that were in the juvenile prison system that were coming back towards mainstream schools. And we caught those kids in both directions. 
So, you know, it involved like a lot of truancy and kids with criminal records and, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of inner city kids that just were lost in the system and just needed more one-on-one. And I'd wake up at like seven in the morning in a blue station wagon with a school bus sign on top. And I'd drive into the projects and bang on doors, trying to get the kids to come out and, and, and get in the, in the bus and take them to school. And, and then, uh, yeah, I was teaching vocational ed and things like that to them so they could fill out resumes, get jobs. Um, and that kind of thing. And, but there was a lot of like, you know, we had a padded room and we had to, if we had to restrain kids, we'd have case workers come in for behavioral issues and get them in a safe room and take care of them in there. And, and that was super high stress, super high stress. And I did that for two or three years. And, uh, fortunately was playing music at night at various like nightclubs and just doing open mics and just trying to get my, you know, my feet underneath me with that. And, and eventually there was so much stress in the job. I just, I had a hard time uh, with anxiety and waking up knowing that because it's, it's, you know, there's these kids were in trouble, a lot of them. And, and it made you in their circle of trouble. And, and uh, you know, you had to deal with their parents and the truant officers and their jobs, if they had jobs. And, you know, because I had a caseload of maybe a dozen kids as well. And um I love the work and I love some of the kids I really connected to. And, uh, but the stress from it just, you know, I just knew it wasn't me. And I had this carrot of music always floating in the background. And eventually I just went for the carrot and, you know, burned off all, all the plan B's (laughs) (laughs) were destroyed at that point. How how did you like, like thinking about, like you're growing up, like, first of all, how did you get into distance running? I mean, is any, anybody in your family, you know, athletic in that way? And then also like maybe added on to that, this question is like, how did you get into folk music, for instance? I mean, was it really because you, like you said, you, you wrote, and I, I know I read something that you wrote poetry and you liked that, that idea of storytelling and that kind of fits into that, you know, the, the mold of, of folk music. Uh, well, with running, um, <clears throat> I, this is the, the cool thing about running. Uh, cause it's, you know, you don't need a bat. There's no eye to hand coordination. Um, so it's not like you're Steph Curry and you're spending, you know, 300 hours a week shooting from your spots just endlessly as a kid. What happened, I think we had these presidential physical fitness um, Uh, tests. And so the athletes emerge from those tests. Like, and, you know, I didn't do well on the pull-ups. I didn't do well on the sit-ups. I was like, you know, maybe upper middle. Uh, But then the running thing came. And I was like in the one percentage nationally on my times for my age group. And I'm like, and I like doing it. And I, I was killing all the kids that were in my class and my age group around me. So I'm like, well, uh, I like running. And then I remember in eighth grade, it was just before I got into running in a big way. Um, I was, we had some class competition around graduation where all the boys were running to the back end of a baseball field and touching the wall and coming back to, and your class got the points. And I remember being at the, point where I touched the wall and looked around and nobody was there but me and then I turn around and I'm running and running and running and I'm like I'm like where where is everybody and I turn around 
and I'm way ahead of, and then I tripped on the pitcher's mound <laughs> to the humiliation of me and my classmates. And, uh, and then somebody passed me, but I realized that I had this physical thing about me that made me different than the, the other kids. And the body type that I had was perfectly suited for distance running. And, um, even when I was, I, jo I joined the cross country team as a freshman was the number one one runner on my team and eventually won the state cross country meet and ended up running after that. So there were things that made me pop out and kind of the same things with, um, with art, like just, and writing, uh, you know, just drawing, loving drawing and drawing at home and then coming to the classroom and recognizing the teacher, recognizing that I was sort of ahead of everybody else with writing and, and with art and, and then, you know, little competitions come up and you sort of are unexpectedly chosen. You get the blue ribbon at these art things or you're, you win the class contest and writing essays or, or short stories and um, and those things. But again, like it's just I was predisposed because of my DNA for art and my interest for some reason went that way. And for running, I have nobody in my family that does any of those things. So I was like, they were looking at me like, what do we do with this kid? <laughs> <laughs> buy him, buy him crayons, buy him running shoes and just see what happens. And then, you know, the last thing they wanted was a folk singer, but they designed it. You know, at some point my dad said, aren't you going to go to grad school? And, and like, no, this is the son you've got. Very quick break. Make sure to check out Ellis's music on iTunes, Spotify, and other streaming services. And stop by his website, ellispaul.com, for music and news. And make sure to follow Ellis on Instagram and Twitter at Ellis Paul Songs. A reminder to check out the other podcasts on the Abstract Athlete Network, the Abstract Doctors Podcast, and One Man's Ethos, the Tony Mandridge Podcast. Now, back to Ellis. How, I'm curious, how, how did you get hooked up with because you've done, I don't know if you've done more than three movies um, or put music on soundtracks, but three of them with the Farley brothers. Yeah. Um, how did, how did you get hooked up? Because that's, that's pretty killer. I mean, they're like, they're great filmmakers and, you know, like really, really well known. And uh, particularly that I think that the, what is it? Me, myself and Irene, is that the name? I mean, mm -hmm. um, that's a cool soundtrack. Cause like the Foo Fighters are on there. Wilco. I mean, like it's, it, it's a, it's a great soundtrack to be involved in. Yeah. You know? It's a funny thing about those guys. Cause they're, they're new England guys. They're from Rhode oh. Island. So they, they pull in like local comedians and actors into their movies and they kind of do well for the circle of folks that are from that region of the country. And I, I, I was up in Boston and, you know, like many, many, uh, connections. And I tell this to the folks, um, who are coming up in the music industry because I do a lot of mentoring with people that want, you know, the kind of life that I have. Um, and I, I tell them, you know, the people that you make as friends are your most important business contacts, but you shouldn't make friends for the purpose of business because then that's not a true friendship. But when you have a real friendship uh, and people admire what you do, they 
give you favors. And, and this came through my manager in, in, I guess in the 80s and 90s, he and the Fairley brothers lived on Martha's Vineyard together and they drank and smoked pot and chased girls and <laughs> went to music together. And, and it was before they had a big movie career and then they ended up moving out to California and 20 years later, they were like, send us the music that you're managing. We want to hear your acts. And they sent my stuff, to, my manager sent my stuff to them and, and they love what I do. And they did everything they could to break that song, put it in the movie four times and it's over the end credits and the last scene and happens three other times in the movie. And um, they're just very, very good to me and, and, and not just me, but to a lot of indie artists and indie actors and comedians. Uh, they just treat us well. Um, they're kind of like, family builders you know and um so that's how that movie happened yeah and those personal connections you know almost all the all the great breaks that i've had have been through people that i have some personal connection with who are higher up the ladder and they just reach down and they pull pull you up and say hey we're going to make you part of what we do and and uh you know that's 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 how it's supposed to be too it's yeah you got to avoid all those cold calls and yeah. that one in a thousand <laughs> call that you make comes through it's just who has the time for that have you ever i mean thinking about them moving out to la like has there ever been any thought for you to move to a different area like you know like i don't want to say for for the career but like boston is, i mean east coast is a good place for folk music it is and had i wanted to be a commercial artist and i mean i do want to be a commercial artist uh in a sense, you know, I want, I want to make a million dollars a week doing this. That'd be great. Don't get me wrong. Right, right. Uh, you know, there was a moment where I was sitting, I got invited down to Nashville and I sat at a dinner table. These guys took me out to dinner. They came out to the show and one of them was Scott Bruchetta who started big machine records and yep. broke Taylor Swift. And he's like the biggest industry guy in Nashville now. And, and he was just starting out and, his partner, Jimmy, had found me through the Fairley Brothers movie, and they were like, why are you in, in Boston? Why don't you come down to Nashville and write for us, and we'll develop you as an artist and all these things? And at that point, things were going great, and I'm making good money touring and just kind of living the life I lead. And and I, the idea of like living under in a, in the box of what a commercial artist has to live in. Like, you know, Mariah Carey has to dress like that every time she's seen in on camera, you know, she has to do X, Y, and Z and all of these country, especially in the country music thing, because it's not, so, the, most country artists are just, they're pretty exceptional actors who are playing a role and wearing a hat and trying to create this sort of country myth of themselves. and. Um, just trying so hard to be cool and, uh, and which of course happens in rock and, and all that stuff. But then you, then you get, you know, it just doesn't appeal to me. Like for me, I feel more like I'm writing a short stories and putting out a book mm -hmm. and these short stories are very visual and, and it's, it's going to appeal to a decent number of people who are, who love books and movies and, you know, the same kind of people that I am. And I know I can play to them and do it independently and make a good living doing it without dealing with the, all of the, hey, you got to do it this way. You got to dress that way. You got to sing this song that you didn't write because we think this is a hit and we don't think your shit is a hit. So, 
So I, I, I didn't have the balls to, and, and the desire to up, uproot myself and I played it safe and, and I'm pretty happy. You know, I think, um, when I think about, I, I wouldn't want a life like Springsteen's, you know, I, even though he's, he's an incredible writer and pretty much, I think, plays it the way I'd want to if I had that kind of life. You still got like a hundred people that you got to take care of all the time. And it's, that's got to be tough. I don't, I, you know, and a distraction. And um, so I kind of like that this is just me and just me sitting down and coming up with the guitar parts and the stories and going out on the road without an entourage and without the pressure of financially taking care of all those folks. And it just works. Yeah, no, I, that's why I was actually thinking of Nashville, like as, as a landing spot, if that was, and you just kind of covered exactly what I was, what I was wondering, like the, the why. And I don't think it, I don't think you played it safe. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, you're just playing it the way that you want to play it. And I don't, you know, I don't personally, I don't think that's a safe move. It's just, I don't want to be what other people want me to be. I want to be what I want to be. That's the way I, yeah. that's the way I see it. Um, and I don't know if it's, uh, it feels like a, at times I've been out there with a machete cutting my own path, yeah. you know, rather than going on the paved road. That's not the scenery that you want. But and I think that's, that's so rewarding. Like I, you know, I mean, I think that's the thing about being a creative person. There is no, like, there's no pot of or job at the end of the rainbow. Like, it's just like, okay, I'm going to figure out how the hell I'm going to survive in this world doing what I want to do. And then sometimes it sucks and it's hard, obviously like for you, like COVID and for creative people in general, like COVID has just been like this shit show of like, I, yeah. you know, like everything was kind of taken away, but as creative people, we always figure out different ways to change it or to figure it out. And that, you know, I mean, I think, it's, it's just, it's just different. Like, like teaching painting on zoom. It's like some some people I work with, they're like, all they do is complain. It's like, just figure it out. I mean, Jesus, yeah. like it sucks. Yeah. But like, God, you're a creative person. You can't navigate this space. Like that's, that's what we do. I don't know. Right. And, and I think again, it's like, there are options online. Yeah. Um, and some of it is like, and you got to pick and choose what you like like uh, the part of my job of course is to sell my own self and my own songs online but i also have this incredible love and respect for musicians and songwriters so my new job online part-time is to introduce my crowd to up and coming or maybe people that they haven't heard before interview those people kind of like what you're doing I, I have a little bit of a a interview show online and uh, it happens oh, cool. every what's, friday night what's it called it, it's uh, Ellis Paul's traveling medicine show. Oh, that's on, okay. That's what I, yeah, I think I saw that listed. Yeah. And so it's, it's more of a like his history and introduction to another artist. So we pick a theme that might be, okay, we're going to do songs about New York this Friday. And so I'll do a Sinatra song. I'll do, you know, a Springsteen song. Like I'll, I'll find a bunch of songs that mention New York and I'll talk about, you know, who wrote them, why they were written, any backstory that's interesting, where, where do they fall in the charts? And then I'll bring in this special guest and they might have one song about New York, but that'll be sort of the guise of getting them on the program. And, and, and then we'll do an interview that, and people will figure out who they are and what their thing is and get to hear them play. And then, uh, and I, I I love that because it's like 
are you a fan of the sport? Are you a fan of the art? Then celebrate it. It doesn't have to be about you. Teaching can be a, a slog, I guess, because you're not feeling like you're getting interaction with people. And a lot of this is just playing to a camera rather than playing to an audience. And you, you got, there's a little bit of magic in order to, to transcend that. It's, it's not easy, but, uh, but I've, I've, I'm pretty comfortable on camera, pretty comfortable talking. And uh, I, I imagine the audience there in a way that's pretty satisfying. It's not as satisfying as hearing applause and laughter. And, but um, I can imagine people listening right now and it's, it's making me 10% smarter and 15% better looking. <laughs> so, you know, all the things that walking on stage does, yep. uh, it does. Uh, to there's, me online. there's like, that's what that thing I was talking about earlier about that, like the difference in similarities between like being a runner and being a singer for me, like being a baseball player, being a visual artist and being a singer. It's like, my band once, you know, played for, uh, opened up for the Misfits and Megadeth at a show and, oh, wow. uh, and, and, and it was like, you know, 10,000 people. And, you know, we played in front of different crowds of thousands, different time. But when you walk out on stage and there's 10,000 people, it's just like a sea. And it's like, whoa, like this is a whole different experience, but yeah. it's like, it's not because once you start playing, there can be two people, there can be 10,000. For me, it's just like, you just disappear in the moment. And it's, it's just, that's, there's something magical about that being on stage feeling, I guess is the best way to say it. I mean, yeah, it's pretty druggy in is. a way. I mean, oh, I'm is. sure your serotonin levels are boosting oh. and your, all your, uh, you know, I, I have a little bit of stage fright. So the first four songs or so are like yeah. <laughs> abject terror. Uh, yeah. and, and then you get comfortable and you feel like you've conquered it and yeah. then you own it. And then by the time you get off, it's you're like, ah, can I get back on? When's the next time? <laughs> yep. Can we do another so, set? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I think, um, and the same thing when you're on a, on the starting line of a race and you feel like I got to get the first five minutes out of the way because my heart is beating here. And I, and once I find my rhythm and groove, I'm, I'm in. Um, so there's just, there's, I don't know how baseball was for you, but there's so many, you know, very similar kind of situations between running and, and, uh, and being a solo singer songwriter that's, you know, and hard work is the overarching umbrella that you have to work your ass off in order to have yep. success. It's, yep. but you got to do it smart because there are a lot of musicians that burn out. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Who who are some of the like? I want to say like who you look up to. Um, I guess you know. I don't maybe maybe mentor, but maybe maybe just like heroes of yours, and it can be. It can be musicians, it can be athletes, it can be whoever, mm. like pe people that like maybe influenced you um, in a in a grander scheme. I mean, it can be a scientist. I don't care. <laughs> uh, well, uh, with with musicians, I tend to love people that paint incredible pictures and do it in an acoustic way, so that they're you can picture them uh, in a room creating the magic that that you're hearing on the record, even though there might be a band there. So, I mean, I, I think Taylor Swift is a, a pretty extraordinary pop songwriter and, 
but there's a lot of bells and whistles there in pop production and it's just over, it's overwhelming. So it's not the kind of thing I put on in the back um, when I'm doing the dishes, you know, <laughs> even though when, sometimes when that stuff comes on, I love it. But to me, it's like, what can you do vocally and then with the guitar to take me to another universe, like into a story where I forget my story and I'm just like, I'm like witnessing your story. And the people that do that best are, you know, Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, Neil Young does it for me, not so much lyrically, because he's not a narrative songwriter like that. He's he he writes and you're like, what the fuck does that? I don't understand what that means, but it's so beautiful. I'm, I'm just going to make up whatever my own meaning is. And right. So sometimes sonically, someone can take me there like he does. James Taylor, incredible guitarist, Paul Simon, a lot of the artists from the early 70s stuff I grew up with when I was a kid um, still is my favorites, my favorite thing. And I, I love great guitar playing El Elton John in the early days, Rod Stewart in his early days. And then on the running side, um, I Sebastian Coe is my number one dude. He was, um, you know, super, super fast from 400 to, you know, five, five kilometers and, and, and beyond. He didn't race often beyond on on that distance but he was just this little scrappy five foot seven 125 pound white kid from england and uh who could run a 46 quarter and a, a 347 mile you know so he he and he did it with style and he was kind of sharp in a way like just his presentation was serious and, and a little bit academic and uh, and then he ended up land, landing the leads, the lead bureaucratic spot to bring the London Olympics to London in 2012. So he ended up being, you know, in parliament and then eventually now, now he's leading the IAAF, the International Athletics Association Federation, and he's the president of that. So he's, he's just a smart, a smart guy. And, uh, and Craig Virgin, who I got to meet was uh, an American uh, world cross country champion and had the two mile high school record for like 30 years. Uh, he came out to a show of mine just a couple of years ago and I got to meet him. It was just a big thrill. Did he know you were a runner? Yeah, he okay. had, there's, we had a mutual friend who brought him out to the show. And so we got to hang after the show and just, uh, I think we got a beer at the venue and just, I mean, this is, one of those things when you're a big fan of the sport, you know what the stats are. You know, you yep. ran an 842 mile and you're like, hey, I I don't want to be weird or anything, but I know everything about you. <laughs> <laughs> you He's know? probably going to say the same thing about you. <laughs> well, yeah, some, yeah, there are some people the same way. Yeah. But I mean, who's your favorite baseball player? If you had to pick one guy, who would it, who would it be? I think my back in the day hero, I mean, growing up, like I love Daryl Strawberry. Like yeah. I just thought, um, Willie Mays, because I was a center fielder, I, I mean, I obviously never got to see him play live, yeah. but I think him, and then I actually got to play against uh, Ken Griffey Jr. And just seeing what he was, was just, you know, it was just different level stuff. Like you yeah. can see, uh, it's harder in creativity, I think, um, to see those things. In athletics, like you can just see there's, there's a, and I, I had the opportunity to get drafted out of high school. Like I was a, I was a good baseball player. 
Yeah. And I mean, I was just, I was an, a good athlete. I mean, you know, I played quarterback. I, I could, I was five ten. I could dunk a basketball and, you know, yeah. you know, and, and so I'm still athletic. Like I, I have that, I take my discipline as an athlete to my creativity. Like I'm in my artist studio every day. I don't play in, in, in any instruments. Like I can fiddle on guitar a little bit, but I write music on garage band because in my head someday I can, you know, my other musician friends, I've been giving them to them. They could like readjust things or like, if we ever want to record, I got like 30 songs written on garage band. And so to me, like I hate it because of the syntheticness of it, but I love it because it allows me somebody that doesn't play an instrument to actually compose entire songs now. Like, so, you know, it's just, it's one of those love, hate, evil relationships, (laughs) I guess, but it's, it's, it's fun because again, I miss that since, I mean, I haven't been on stage really for 20 years. Um, yeah. you know, when my, when I moved from Ohio down to Virginia and there's, there is a definite loss of, or longing for that, that kind of energy, like you said, that being on stage and having those endorphins popping in, in a different way to me than it is for like physical exercise or being in my studio and creating like a painting. It's just yeah. there's something different. And, and I miss that. We have a lot in common, you and I, uh, because you treat music like I treat art. Like I have art as sort of a in the background thing. I dabble in because yep. I have to. And fortunately, because of my job, um, you know, people will ask, hey, we'd like this song, the lyrics to this song. And I, I charge like four or five hundred bucks for for me to do a piece of artwork. And then I sketch the lyrics into the piece of art and uh, oh, that's killer. instead of just writing them on a piece of paper. So, and that forces art and paints into my hand. And um, I wish I had more time for it though. I, I, that's, mean, I say the same about music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, the thing I love about music, it, it's, uh, it's like painting with words. You're really creating yep. visual scenes for people. Uh, at least that's how I approach it when I'm I'm doing it. So I feel like a little bit of my my artistic creativity, the 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 one that creates scenes and characters, and and is is and see, is in the lyrics. I write very like abstractly, like in my head I know what I'm talking about, but it's like people aren't gonna understand what the hell my songs are about. I mean they you know it's 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 just kind of out there. But the music for me, and you'll love this, like a lot of it in my head is really thinking about me driving out West and just that open space. And like, I, I love that, you know, that's, that's how I'm conceiving that music. Um, and so like, I, I want that kind of feeling from the music, not the lyrics for people to get that kind of out there solo being out in the, in the world. Yeah. And so it's, I, I, it's, 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 I just love it. I mean, I, I last night I woke up at like two in the morning and I had a baseline in my head. Cause that's usually, <laughs> that's usually how I write. It's like a baseline is, is how I conceive a song and then I'll add drums and whatever and guitars or piano or whatever. And, and then I'll put the lyrics and melody line to that, which yeah. is cause that's how my, my band back in the day used to write all the music I mean, they would literally kick me out of the room because <laughs> it's just like, what the hell are you doing in here? I don't know. And and then they would give me the music and then I would, you know, melody lines and lyrics. 
So I'm yeah, I think I think bass players have. I mean, McCartney was a bass player. Sting was a bass player. I think melodically, they think slightly more more interestingly than than uh, standard songwriters because they're constantly coming up with counter melodies and counterpoints. Yep. So I think your 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 brains are wired just slightly more interesting than the average musician um, because of that for songwriting. I have to ask a, ask a, a question. Do you have you ever heard of Chris Whitley? I'm a huge oh Chris my, Whitley fan. He's probably my favorite artist of all time. I yeah. got to see him play. And his, you know, his daughter is a musician, Trixie. Um, very yeah. interesting. Actually, I, I really like her. You can actually hear his influence. He died way too young uh, because I just would be interesting. interested to like hear what he was still doing. But I got to see him live, I think, three times. And one of the shows he did, you might have seen this, where he he was just playing, you know, had however many guitars he had with him and he had a mic on the ground. And so his, his stuff. Yeah. And it was just stunning. Like I just remember standing there just going, Oh my God, this guy. And you know, you talk about storytelling and just deep, dark, soulful alternative, just, I don't know, just stunning stuff. Stunning. Yeah. I saw, I saw him twice and, if you had asked me during the conversation, what was the best live show you ever seen? He would be the first thing I, I brought up. I saw him. <laughs> yeah. And you would, yeah, I saw him play in Boston uh, with my manager when I was in my late twenties and his, the new record had just come out. Um, big sky country. Is that the, yep. the, the name of it? And he was part of sort of a collective blues thing uh, that was on the road. Uh, it was in Boston and I can't remember the, this is a big rock club in Boston, and I ended up playing there later on. But but he just came up solo, and he had you know the the white tank top on, white wife beater, whatever it is, and in yeah. jeans, and the place was packed for him, and with just the most gorgeous looking women you can imagine, <laughs> and this skinny guy, you know. Pencil thin, uh, yeah, like no body it's fat. Like heroin chic is like how I always yeah, described if you, it. If you can't jog, it's a good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you can't exercise, it's a good weight loss uh, program. Um, but that's all it is. is uh, so anyway, he played, and uh, I just couldn't. It was the coolest thing I've ever seen one guy do on stage. Like, it was just totally mesmerizing, captivating, and sounded surreally beautiful. And um, I think I saw him at New York at CBGB's gallery once as well. And, uh, you ever play, did you ever play there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. At the gallery, not on the rock oh. and roll side, but they, they ended up buying the building next door and they put the acoustic acts next yeah. door and, and, uh, Oh, and the John Varvatos. Uh, I a, can't remember. It became a John Varvatos store. Um, we actually played in the, yeah, the, the, the mains or the, whatever the, the, the rock space a couple of times. And it, did you ever have those feelings like we're like, you're probably way past this because you're an accomplished musician, but I, I would get these feelings sometimes when we would play certain places, like, Oh my God, blah, blah. You know, like Blondie was on this stage, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like yeah. that, like the history of a space. Um, I actually broke Marilyn Manson's mic stand one night. I don't know why it was there, but I remember that <laughs> it broke it over his head, <laughs> but I just From remember what we're hearing now. Yeah. 
it's 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 i don't know like the history of spaces was always kind of fascinating to me well that 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 means that you you love the form and the history and not everybody does i wish that was the case like there's so many young songwriters i'm like well you got to listen to this have you ever heard of this person have you ever heard this song do you know who this is and especially with folk music because it's it's a wide genre so you get people that really want to be pop singer songwriters in it and who don't care about and i'm not talking you know, they don't know who pete seeger is they don't know who all the cronies outside of dylan they don't know uh you know they they, they know a couple dylan records and, and and they think they know dylan and and you know for me it's like for example, like playing the Newport Folk Festival and you're walking around and you're like, I know exactly where I am. I know the photograph. I'm standing on the very same stage that, you know, X, Y, or Z was in in 1967. And you know, like, this is incredible. Uh, and when I go out to the Woody Guthrie Festival and yeah. it's, it's like I'm in his hometown, I'm standing at the place that he grew up, you know, I'm at the theater that he went to, I'm walking down the streets that he walked on. Um, and that's all of that stuff is, I don't know, when you get into that rabbit hole of it, it's, it's, it becomes much bigger than you. It becomes, um, you recognize that you're a very tiny link in a chain, but you're in that chain, the same chain that those people were in. You might not be, a, a, you know, the founding of the chain. You might, you're just one little piece of it, but the chain itself is, uh, should be sacred and highly regarded and you should know it back and back to, back to front. And, um, and the people that end up doing that, who end up knowing it, are, end up being the best artists because the more you absorb, the more parts of the DNA of those other artists get into your music, into your art, into, you know, like, you know, you want to know Van Gogh, but there's, there's a lot of other people happening. You know, there's Pissarro and all these other folks, you know, and uh, knowing their history, knowing that, that, that Van Gogh was doing pointillism. He was doing those little dot drawings. He was, he was dabbling in so many of things before he found his own, his own voice and style the same thing with Picasso he tried every you know to know that these people walk this path in this way and were inspired by this and all these other people and exploring who those people were all of that enriches your life and enriches your art so yeah it's pretty exciting who, to go to those places like, and, and you just said something that made me think who is like some some newer artists that you are interested in like that you know like maybe even through the show that you're you know the the medicine show, like, like that you find that are like traveling that path that you would like recommend. Oh, uh, one of my favorite songwriters is a woman named Antje Duvacott. It's A-N-T-J-E, Antje Duvacott. And I think she might be an equivalent to Joni Mitchell lyrically. Like she's just really powerful use of metaphor and beautiful voice. And there's a guy named Sam Baker down in Texas, and Sam is. Uh, I think I've heard of, of Sam Baker actually. Yeah, he's been on NPR. He's been on All Things Considered shows like that. Um, Terry Gross. Um, he's like a, a modern day John Prine. He's 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 probably in his sixties now, but he's he's one of my favorite songwriters. And uh, there's a guy up in New England called Mark Orelli who's got a beautiful voice and a way around a melody and a storyline and, and, you know, folks like that that fall into just weaving pictures 
and they, you know, Sam sings like a door hand. She's, it's, there's nothing incredible about his voice, but uh, <laughs> he's found a way to partner lyric and the voice that he has and the sparseness of the music in a way that just sucks you in and just like John Prine did. So yeah, those, those people that can just sit in, in a room and just um, completely blow you away. That's, that's kind of the stuff I love. Yeah. Well, I, I, th- I think that like, that's a great place to end. Um, I, you know, I, like, I love that Adam put us to, first of all, is it okay? I want to use, I always put music, um, to the podcast. Oh, sure. Is it yeah. okay to use one of your songs? Like, cause I think mean, that would like, would be really cool. Um, but I do, I like, I think I'm really glad that Adam put us together because I do, uh, there is a lot of similarities in like our paths in different ways, obviously, but yeah. there's like, there's, there's major overlaps in, in kind of how we think and what we do. And I love finding another Chris Whitley uh, fan. I have, I'll have to like, see if I can find it, but I had from working at a record store, I got this promo thing. I don't think it was ever released of him in his like living room. And if yeah. I, if I can find it, I'll burn it and, and send, you, oh, yeah. send you the files. Cause it's just like him playing. I mean, some of the stuff from big sky country, I believe. I've um, got somewhere, same thing, but okay, I, probably, it's, it's probably four moves ago, but I, I don't know if it's the same record, but I had someone give me like a collection of three CDs of like rarities that there were recorded just him alone somewhere. Yeah. It might be the same thing, but it might not be, but I'll, I'll, I'll look around and see if I can find it. We'll do a little exchange program. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I'll, after we get off here, I'm going to send you a song. I actually recorded with uh, one of my guitar friends played guitar on it, but everything else is garage band. And we actually took it to a studio and mixed it down. So I'll send oh, that to you right. just like, so you can hear it. But I, I just look forward to like staying, staying in touch because again, I, I just love hearing, I think again, in the similarity vein that we, we kind of think alike in different, I mean, it's in different ways, but there's like Uh, total overlap and it's, I just enjoy having these conversations with, because it, it, for me, it's just like fun to like hear other, other ways that people navigate their creative space and how they think and stuff and just gravitating a lot towards like what you were saying. It's, it's just fun. Oh, thanks, man. Hey, by the way, just as an aside, when Chris Whitley died, within a year, I had someone contact me who claimed to be some kind of a medium and that they were friends of Chris and that they were talking to him in the afterlife. And of course, I'm like, oh, well, I'll I'll connect with you guys. I just want to hear what you got to say, you know, and and uh, they said that he had advice for me and and Chris and I. I think we might have said hi once, so there's no way in hell he knew who I was. He might have known my music, maybe, um, but we never sat down and had a conversation. But um, they said that his message was something about, I think the the gist of it was that I needed to follow the path of my own voice and not worry about the outside world. Just be true to what I'm doing because that's where the greatest success will lie. That was what they wanted to convey to me. And these are people I didn't even know. They were compelled by whatever experience they had to track me down. And um, yeah, so. that's random. That's kind of cool, though. And I yeah. like that actually sounds like something that he would because I always thought, why is this guy not just like a rock star? But who cares? Yeah. Who cares if he is or not? Because you could just tell 
he was in it and just loved it what he did yeah and so like his his love of life was it's yeah he was pretty deep there was uh the guy that produced that record it wasn't uh the big sky country record wasn't daniel lanois it was malcolm byrne his i think his assistant did it it might have been no it wasn't daniel lanois it was his assistant malcolm byrne who was just starting at that point at some point i got into the studio i was in new orleans doing a show and patty griffin was using malcolm byrne as a producer and i got into the studio i think where that record was recorded so there's a lot of there's a lot of chris whitley things that are coming up in conversations but i i listen would, would i you... listen to his stuff like all the time and as a matter of fact i have a project with with a class that i do that i make i make students listen to a song that i provide and yeah. they have to do something you know, creative from it. And then they get to choose one of their songs as well. And I always use, um, uh, now I'm forgetting the name of the song. I forget you every day. I just think yeah. that's like one of the most beautiful in that the version that he has on the album weed, which is just the acoustic version, not the one that's on living with the law. Which yeah. is, that's the name of the album. It's living with the law, not big sky, oh, big right, sky. Right. Big that's sky I was forget, right. But, but yeah. the, the version he has on weed is just, Oh, I mean, like the hair on the back of my neck yeah. stands up every time I listen to it. Well, I'm going to spend my day listening to him now that you, <laughs> I'm going to put him on my Alexa while I do. I am too. I am too. Like, I, I'm glad I, you're bringing him back I, into my day. I Thank just, I, I, he's, I'm, I'm just glad to find somebody that knows slash listens to him because he, he's one of those guys. I, I really truly Chris Cornell as a singer, like how I sing is kind of my, you know, yeah, he was, the, he's, he was amazing. The guy, yeah. but like Chris Whitley and just in general, is just like, oh my God, like I just gravitate towards him. And and just, I remember, literally remember the first time I listened to his album and I just didn't, I never stopped. Yeah, same thing. That was like for six months, yep. there might not have been any other album in my CD player yep. in the car. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. And, I, you know, I always wondered why the success of records didn't take him to the upper echelon of the music industry but i think he might have been too cool for it and the drugs might have gotten in the way yeah. or his, his personal choices might have caught up to him but um yeah just inc an incredible an incredible yeah. artist um well i will like i said i'm gonna um i'll grab us grab a song probably grab a couple of your albums off of itunes and use any do you have any preference of which song you want me to use I don't, but okay. you know, you probably should just make sure that I was the writer on it okay. just in case yep. it's not a cover song that yeah, you yeah. weren't aware of just yep. so you don't get any publishing yep. issues. Um, but. And this will probably be out in, in a couple weeks. I'm just getting ready to kick off season six of our okay. podcast yeah, and I'll send you all the promo. Like um, I always, I clip out images from this and I'll also like clip out a couple videos and um and put them on social media and stuff and um i've been thinking of doing a podcast of the traveling medicine show and then absolutely doing, like song analysis of of songs as part of it like, i think that there'll that be would... an interview part and then just me like i'll take a chris whitley song and say let me tell you why this is so great and talk about the things i love about it i think um, that's like cool because again you know you talk about like education and and younger yeah. people not it's like it just gives them that insight of like there is deeper meaning to this, like 
glossiness of the finished product. There's there's the stuff that happens behind the scenes. I haven't seen this yet, but the Beatles documentary I hear is is incredible. so unbelievable yeah. for that for that reason alone of just watching you know how how things come together. I I just watched um Crazy Heart last night again for like I don't know the umpteenth time. That and was think, too close to home. I, could, I no, I but I think watch that, that twice. I I think that there's something really interesting about how that movie is. Like it does, it hits home to me and different yeah. different musically, obviously, but just some of some of that those things of like whoa, this is it's just an intent. I love that love that movie. Great, I like I movie. like Ryan Bingham uh, as well, and um, and obviously you know, Jeff Bridges is the dude. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. well, dude, but thank, like I, I, like I said, I look forward to staying in touch. Like maybe, you know, if me, you and Adam are ever in the same town. We can sure hook up and grab a, yeah. grab a beer. And when I'm about to launch this podcast, I'll give you a call. Just oh, to get absolutely. some pointers and on all, one of the I'll, issues. Pro- I'll promote it for you on, on our end. Cause oh, again, every time I have somebody on, on our podcast, like I try to like push their stuff out in the world as much as I can. Just yeah, kidding. one one thing that is a challenge with it is is when you're doing songs, there's publishing issues, and yep. um, you know I don't know how to get around that. We're still trying to figure all that out, but I could do it on Spotify. I hear because they've already got all the arrangements with all the publishers for, yep. and even if it's an an educational version of it, you're you're likely going to run into some legal problems because yep. people are assholes. But yeah, um, I know. But yeah, but feel free to use my use my music. <laughs> cool, awesome. Well, thanks, man. I like again. I really, truly appreciate it. this. Was a blast of a conversation. Um, because uh, likewise, it's it's uh, it's just always fun to talk. For me, it's always fun to talk music. It's also it's just fun fun reading about you because again, like I think, I just think there's a lot of overlap to you and kind of what my business partner and I are trying to bring about. We're all we're all creative beings. And, and all of us have physical things, at least from our past, and in different different layers, or whatever. So, yeah. So it's cool. All right, brother. Well, have a great day, man. Thank you, man. Keep right. in touch. And I'm gonna text you my song right now. So. All right. All right. <laughs> all right. We'll give it a listen. All right. Later. Absolutely a blast to talk with Ellis today. You can really feel uh, his love of music and distance running, you know, the way that he thinks, the way that he studies. It's really inspiring to hear. Again, make sure to check out Ellis's music on iTunes, Spotify, and other streaming services. You can also find his music by visiting his website, ellispaul.com, and follow Ellis on Instagram and Twitter at ellispaulsongs. And again, thanks to Ellis for allowing us to use one of his songs for the episode today. A reminder to check out the other podcasts on the Abstract Athlete Network, the Abstract Doctors Podcast, and One Man's Ethos, the Tony Mandrich Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Abstract Athlete Podcast. Stop by our website, theabstractathlete.com, and our social media outlets for future events and news. Thank you. We will see you next week. And as always, do not forget to exercise the body and do not forget to exercise the mind. Stay well out there. I know you're connected to you.